I'm Florence Andrews, and you're pretty cool because you're listening to the Unfreaking Believable podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Unfreaking Believable podcast. My co-hosts and I are all authors who believe that life is made up of inciting incidents that make the truth stranger than fiction. We want to share with you the moments that alter the course of everyday lives in ways that are, well, unfreaking believable. We're thrilled to have you with us, and we encourage you to kick back with your favorite beverage for the next 40 or so minutes while we bring you another great episode and a great interview. I'm Jen. I'm Jenny. And I'm Betsy. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in for another exciting episode. And thank you for all the positive feedback we've been getting so far. You've just blown us away. It's fantastic. How's everybody feeling? I know you two have been a little bit uh, a little congested lately. How's it going? A little yeah. under the weather, but starting to make the turn around the corner. Yep, I am too. Well, I certainly hope so, because little... Uh, surprise for our listeners well maybe there might be some bonus material coming up soon because the three of us have a little getaway planned um and yep. there might be some very exciting announcements sort of surrounding the idea that the three of us will be in the same state oh i hope the state is ready for us can you imagine so excited yes yes my <laughs> husband actually got me a shirt that says i am ready for shenanigans shenanigans so <laughs> right on <laughs> So I feel like I feel like that is definitely going to be the word of the weekend. Yes. When we go. Most likely shenanigans. Shenanigans. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, shenanigans is practically my middle name. So Well, I believe that. I totally believe that. And it's <laughs> gonna start literally almost as soon as we leave the airport because we're going to the Bigfoot Museum. Exactly. So... Ah, <laughs> yes. Bigfoot. Good. I know. Speaking of it's going to be exciting. I yeah, can't wait. I am too. Betsy, I'm, I have to mention this to you because so last night I wasn't feeling all that well. And I was, for some reason, decided I really needed to watch a documentary. Sometimes right. when I don't feel well, all I want to do is sit and watch some kind of documentary. I blame Leonard Nimoy for that. Yes. If you know, you know. I do. So, <laughs> so I, yep. I could not believe how many Bigfoot documentaries there are out there. Yeah. More Bigfoot documentaries than there are Bigfoot. Oh, no doubt. I was shocking. <laughs> um, it was absolutely shocking. So I mm -hmm. almost watched the one about the Florida skunk ape, right? Yes. Because that was, I was like, well, that's local. That might have some local flavor. But I will tell you that uh, I actually decided on a documentary that was about a place I'd never heard of and had all these underground caves and stuff like that. It was in South America. I was like, wait, this sounds really super interesting. Mm -hmm. And I turned it on and it was in Spanish. Oh, never mind the fact that the description wasn't in Spanish, nor were was the, uh. you know, the little Netflix entry or whatever that wasn't in Spanish. Now in and of itself, I don't have a problem watching things with subtitles, mm -hmm. but I don't know. It was just too much effort. Yeah, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I'll watch it eventually. But. Anything beyond KSS though, I'm, I'm out. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to have to read subtitles while you're trying to pay attention. Especially to when you don't scenery. feel good. And there are, even in the United States, there are thousands of underground cave systems and they are so fascinating. I will watch it eventually and I will give a full report whenever that, whenever that comes to pass. Yeah, but, I, uh, uh, I sat and watched the whole first season of Outlander while I didn't feel well, but I have to have the subtitles on when they start talking Gaelic because you can't understand what they're saying. <laughs> right, right. Betsy, did you see that they've cast for the prequel to that show? I'm excited. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think, I know that Jenny and I are going to take a moment and geek out over the fact that the Henry Cavill version of Highlander. Oh, is I'm with you on that one. I'm not a, I'm not a Henry Cavill yes. fan, but I am a Highlander fan. Yeah, I, I am a huge Highlander fan. And um, I, are you familiar with, uh, well, yeah, I'm sure you are. Cameo, right? Yeah. Where they, yeah. like people. Yeah, Josh does cameos. Pay, like, I know celebrities it. to yeah. give you a yeah, shout out, whatever. So the my husband, during the pandemic, my husband got me a shout out from Adrian Paul and I about my head about popped wow. right out my body. Mine would too. That's cool. Oh, 
Yeah, and it was so funny because it was obvious that he recorded it when he was walking like really early in the morning because it was still dark out. And he was just like holding his phone and recording it. And it was just the nicest message. I mean, it was just, oh, if I couldn't, if I couldn't have loved him more, I loved him more oh, after that's that. Fantastic. So yeah, that's, that, yep. that would blow and my husband away. won husband of the year for that. Yes. Yeah. My husband yeah. was a big fan. I think the first time we went to the movies together when we were dating, I think we saw High, one of the Highlander movies. I don't think it was the first one, but I think it was one of the second, maybe the second or third one. And, and both, both of us being Highlander fans and queen fans and, you know, I think it was just a way mm -hmm. for him to try to woo, woo me a little bit <laughs> win my heart. Well, it must have worked. I think Henry Cavill is going to blow it out of the park as Highlander. Mm -hmm. He is such a talented actor yeah. and he's just yeah. an all around yeah. good guy, you know, and he's the inspiration for one of my characters. So I can't, I am excited to see him in everything. I'm still trying to get Paul to go out and see Argyle with me. It's out. Oh, I want yeah. to see it. It's in the theater. Yeah, I want to go and see that. It looks really good. I've completely lost touch with what's on at the theater right now. I have no idea. <laughs> That's not normal for me. Me too, but I I normally do too, but because it's Henry Cavill and I've been dying for this movie, it's got such a great cast and I, I just can't wait to see it. But I'm more excited for there yeah. can be only one. Well, I mean, if he's <laughs> if he's anywhere comparable to what he was in, in The Witcher, I, I'm sold. I'm sold. Oh. so oh my god yeah so good so, in the witcher anyway. toss a coin to your witcher and that literally one of the funniest <laughs> things ever and like all my D, D nerds out there were like yep that's a bard no question <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh that rolls so many dice for me <laughs> <laughs> all right are we got are we ready to get started yeah let's do it yes all let's right. do it absolutely do have a terrific word for the day um and i chose it specifically because our guest today is english um and it is very much in temperament with most of the english friends that i know uh, and i'm sure she'll get a good chuckle out of it i know she's listening in the background but our word for today is are you ready for this axismus axismus right so axismus is it's a an ironic rhetorical device where you pretend to be indifferent about something or that you don't actually care about something or you pretend to refuse something that you actually really want like you know when somebody <laughs> gives you a diamond ring and you say oh i couldn't possibly accept it um so that's that's exismus so that's your word for the day how do you think right you're going to use that one jenny you think you can work that in somehow Oh, I'm sure I can find a way to get that worked in somewhere. <laughs> All right. So you got some facts for the day or some fun facts today? I do. I, I have two fun facts for the day. And the first one is bite the bullet. And the origins of this one dates back to the 18th and 19th centuries. And the expression originated from archaic medical practices with soldiers in the field. And it was a way of distracting patients since anesthesia was not a thing yet. The doctors would have them bite down on a literal bullet. Oh, all right. Yeah, so I that's like where that we one. get bite the bullet from, yeah. And the next one is Mad as a Hatter. And most people are familiar with Mad Hatter from Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. But that phrase did not originate with Carroll. The phrase Mad as a Hatter actually comes from Mad Hatter's disease. And it's better known as mercury poisoning. And the expression is linked to the hat making industry. Cool. Because back during, um, through the 18th and 20th centuries, hat makers used a poisonous mercury based solution that caused them to slowly lose their minds. And depending on the level of exposure, it could cause symptoms like tremors, overexcitability, and it could even make them go mad. And during this time period, Danbury, Connecticut was known as the hat making capital of the world. And there it was known as the Danbury Shakes. Huh. I'm gonna, next yeah. time I meet somebody from Connecticut, I'm gonna have to throw that at them. I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll really appreciate it and know exactly what I'm talking about too. Okay. The Danbury Shakes, they will. <laughs> um, okay, so I am so psyched for you to meet our guest today. Um, but before I introduce her, I have a question for you. Um, so, as I when I was growing up, um, I had a very creative mindset. 
and I always dreamt, um, I would have go, go around and have sort of these fantasies that I would reenact in my room as we all do. And, um, I always dreamt of having a creative career of some sort. Did you, did you have that too, Jenny? I did actually, I grew up in the film industry. So I always wanted to be a writer, except for in my youth, I wanted to write and direct films rather than being an author. Okay, so let me just say, I was a huge theater kid growing up and my first role was in the second grade. I played the Wicked Witch in Snow White. Um, I did a couple of plays in high school. I was in uh, The Sound of Music in my junior year. And then ironically, I had an opportunity to be in The Sound of Music my senior year. So I went from being the mistress of the choir in the first time to being Mother Superior in the second one. Not very long after that, I had another play that I auditioned for that I had to be a nun in. So I did three plays slash musicals in a row where I played a nun. So the nun jokes just flowed like water. <laughs> you know, none for me. I feel, like I, I feel like I should have been warned about that in advance so I could have a nun joke on deck. Oh, I know. But I've, <laughs> but unfortunately, I've got none. You got nothing. <laughs> She's got none. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I dealt with. Was, you know, I got all the nun jokes, but it was the it was the sound of music that got me the third play because they needed somebody to bring some music into this non-musical musical. I mean, it wasn't really musical. It was a play called Little Moon of Alban, and it was set in Ireland. And they needed something in you know Latin. So I knew some of the songs from the sound of the music that the choir sang. So I went into the audition. They said, "Well, sing something for us." So I sang the opening piece from The Sound of Music in Latin. And it was a perfectly empty theater and the acoustics were phenomenal. And I don't know that I've ever sang that well since or before that. <laughs> so that was one of those huge moments. And of course I got the role. And uh, then I had to teach awesome. all the other, uh, the other actresses how to sing that song because we actually used it in the play. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, but, um, so I, I also, I went through phases. Um, sometimes I wanted to be an actress. Sometimes <laughs> I wanted to be a singer. A lot of times it was a singer. Um, but, um, by the time I was a teenager, I knew that novelist was a better fit for me just because of who I was and, and that sort of thing. And also the fact that my singing is probably mediocre at best, but there's that. Our guest today though, has lived all the dreams of my youth. Um, she's been a lauded singer. She's an actress, um, often on London's West End, but also all the way to Hollywood. Uh, she's been in stage productions with household names like Wicked, School of Rock, Wizard of Oz, and also hit the silver screen in and played Jenny Gucci in Ridley Scott's House of Gucci. So she's also a success coach and an all-around bundle of sunshine. So Florence, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I am so, so, so thrilled to be here. So thanks for having me. We are excited to have you here, Florence. Welcome. <laughs> and you know what's funny? Well, well, you know, when you were saying that you always thought of being an actor and a singer, I've totally had dreams of being a writer as well. So there you go. We've like uh, swapped. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, I think it's just like the perfect trifecta, right? You know, I think, I think yeah. you know, we all sort of fit that creative mold in a certain kind of way and writing and performing are, mm. are so hand in hand and storytellers right yeah. which way are you gonna do it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i've, I've I, made it onto high school stages but that's as far as i've gone now, granted i was a teacher <laughs> at the time i didn't do it when i was in high school but um but yeah so that was that's cool and i it's so exciting to have you here because i just i love the whole rhythm of the stage and 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 all that sort of thing i you know so i'm I'll, I'll geek out just a little bit and i hope you can forgive me <laughs> for that um but um so you know tell us a little bit about um some of the productions you've been in i kind of highlighted a couple mm. are there any that really just kind of stuck out for you and created the best memories for you oh gosh there's just so so many it's funny i look back on my career so far and it's like i I segment my past by what show I was in at what time. I was like, oh yeah, I was going out with that person when I was in that show. And that was happening in my family when I was in that show. Um, 
you know, for me, I still feel like my very first professional job was super special because I was just so pinching myself the whole way through. Like you never quite know if you're being delusional or if it will ever happen that you'll, I mean, my dreams for a long time were like, if I can just be like third tree from the right in a West End show, I'll be happy. You know, like <laughs> it started there. Like, you know, third tree from safe. the right. Yeah, I'm like, come on, come on, we can do this. Um, <laughs> you know, I actually was the third tree from the right in The Wizard of Oz on stage. Oh, I, I actually got to throw you apples. So, so you didn't know that. But you, I'm jealous. You tied me right in there. Go ahead. There you go. I'm super jealous. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So that that my first job was with Sir Trevor Nunn, and um, she wasn't as much of a household name. She was a musical theatre, but th then she is now. But uh, Hannah Waddingham and Jesse Buckley. Wow. And uh, that was a little night music. So a Stephen Sondheim production, <sighs> and we did. Um, we did a run at a theater called the Menier Chocolate Factory, which is a little kind of fringe off West End theater um, before we transferred to the West End. And I, I just learned so much. It was a really gorgeous first job with some incredible people. And I just soaked up every second. So that would definitely be one. Um, and then another show that I loved that, that a lot of people don't know about um, is uh, called, was called Once. That was on at the Phoenix Theatre in London and um, Ronan Keating. I don't know if you know, uh, was it Boyzone? It was like a 90s English band. Anyway, he was quite <laughs> big in the 90s. He was, he was in it. Um, but I got to, I'm a, I, I started as a muso. I was, I'm a musician as well. So I got to play piano live in that. And I, I loved that. That was like a real mix of um, actually, interestingly, Irish and Polish music because mm. of the story. Um, and the ensemble were on stage all the way throughout, like a bit like a kind of Brecht production. There's just so many. Shakespeare, I loved doing as well. Um, I was lucky to do that um, up in Yorkshire in, in rep. So um, yeah, I mean, and then there's the kind of all the glossy, more high profile things I've done. Um, you know, House of Gucci was of course, next level, unexpected, incredible. That was during a pandemic. So the last thing I was expecting, I didn't think I was gonna even be acting for a while. I was like, what's what's happening? What's happened to my career? And then I got that opportunity and, um, it was an interesting mix because I was off in Italy for six weeks away from my two little teeny kids. So I was like one second, I was like, oh my God, scrolling pictures of them, like feeling really emotional. And then I was spread eagling on a hotel bed, like whooping because <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so all the feels. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel super lucky. There's been some incredible, I mean, I feel every job I've done has even, you know, at the time, sometimes if certain things are challenging, I look back on all of them with so much fondness and gratitude, just the people I've met as well, the, and the backstage and the crew and the, just all the characters and the family of it all. Um, yeah, all, all of them special in their own ways, for sure. And Florence, I have to imagine there must be a, a big difference between working on stage and doing a production like Ridley Scott's House of Gucci. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's interesting, actually, because one of the I when I did House of Gucci, I, I was kind of being thrown in the deep end, I'd done a little bit of TV, I'd done some ads, but I really, my mainstay had been theatre, just show after show after show for years. And, and I'd wanted to get into I always felt like I was an actor who could sing rather than a singer who could act. And then, you know, once you are put in a box of, especially if you had, I had lots of straight plays on my CV, but there was a lot of musical theater on there. And it can be really easy to get stuck in that box, right? Of like, you know, it can be hard to transition over to screen. So I thought this was gonna be a slow burn. And then again, House, House of Gucci happened. And I so I was very nervous because I didn't have much experience on set. And I had two weeks in quarantine when I got there in a hotel. Uh, just to panic about like my three scenes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the main thing that I was nervous about, I felt confident about the character. I, I knew I could, you know, I felt confident about my ability, you know, to, to show up and act. Um, the thing, funnily enough, that I felt most nervous about was the etiquette on set and how that was different to being on stage. So things like continuity, and you know like little mm -hmm. things like that and not wanting to get those pieces wrong and i didn't want i knew i didn't want to be on set worrying about that i just wanted to be able to think about the character but what was what i was really lucky with with that experience was that it happened that the way ridley scott directs he has all these different cameras like hidden away set up he'll have like eight cameras on you 
and you just run it like it's a play, like in mm. linear order. You just run the whole scene. You can't see where the cameras are. So for wow. me, I was like, thank God. Like it really helped me because it kind of felt, and that's quite rare, but I was, it was a perfect transition for me because it almost felt like, you know, I was, I was on stage because um, we could just run it. I didn't need to think, oh, when am I picking up this cup? And I need to remember that I picked it up then. And, um, and I remember Ridley Scott saying, oh, it's, you know, that, that was great because every time the camera went to you, you were like in it, you were on. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know any other way. <laughs> um, so, um, so that was awesome. But yeah, you know, I think in a way, they're quite similar in that the thing I love about them both is is that like I, I mentioned it before that family thing that you know all this whole group of creatives everyone's in their different zone of genius coming together to to make something happen to tell this story to connect to make this art and I've always really enjoyed that and I felt I felt that on set and you feel that in the theater as well I think one of the big differences is that with theater I'd say it's almost like the audience are an undeniable character mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. show. And so it changes the color of, and the feel and, of the show every night. And it's weird how a whole group of individuals together can be a certain kind of audience, but they are, it just kind of seems to happen. So I do love that immediate feedback mm -hmm. because there's something, there's this connection going on between right. you and the audience the whole way through. And I do love that. And it kind of, you know it's good and bad in that as well and that you can't stop you can't retake but the fact that you can't also almost forces you into that slight flow state you know like once you're on the wave you've got to ride it till curtain closes so i think the adrenaline junkie in me mm -hmm. <laughs> healthy or not loves that um but you know yeah there's there's something special to, to both so and at yeah, least you know yeah. stage actors are never going to be replaced by ai so that is true. Let's hope yes. not. I mean, I don't know. Have you seen those hologram things? <laughs> Jesus. I, only the ABBA <laughs> yeah. one. I mean, I know Kiss is doing one now, but I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But uh, have you ever done uh, one of those stage performances? You, you talked about uh, the audience as a character. Have you ever done one of those plays mm. where there's a lot of interaction with the audience, um, mm. you know, where the either people are pulled in or, you know, the actors go out mm. into the audience or any, any of those sorts of. I haven't done in, not really in, in such a direct way. I mean, I, I probably Shakespeare was the most mm -hmm. interactive in a way because you had those kind of soliloquies where you'd break that fourth wall and you kind right. of you'd look into the eyes of people and you knew they were there. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else I've had some, um, yeah, I mean, physically, I've had some shows where, for example, when I was in once, my entrance onto the stage was down through the aisle of the audience. So actually to get to that entrance, uh, once the show had begun, I would like go around with one of the crew, like the front of the theater onto the street, walk in. Um, but yeah, probably Shakespeare. I, I do have, I mean, <laughs> I do have a, st a short story <laughs> about uh, a time when an audience member got a bit too involved in the show when it they shouldn't have. Oh no! Um, which it's a little bit crude. I'm going to make it family friendly as possible. <laughs> it can, it can <laughs> be PG. PG is okay. Yeah, PG, PG. Um, it was in a little night music. It was before we'd gone to, transferred to the West End, and at the Menier, the way they had it set up is it was in the round and and the um the stage was on the same level as the front row and then the and then it was the audience was tiered upwards from there and it got i don't know if you know a little night music but near the end there's this there's this very um moving scene between the two leads and they're kind of um you know professing their love for each other after all these decades and um this man who clearly had a lot to drink um started stumbling onto the stage um, walked past them while they were doing the scene, opened a door that led nowhere, which thank God there was an, there's a point in the play where a few of us had to just hide behind that door because of the way the scenery moved and we were stuck there for a scene. So thank goodness we weren't there. He opened that door and he relieved himself. He obviously <gasps> needed, had had too much to drink. Oh um, gosh. To him. <laughs> and he just stood there during the scene. And uh, so, yeah, there have been interesting wow. times when the audience got a bit too involved. <laughs> 
people got a, a yeah. little a little extra show with their show with that ticket. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's over involved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was looking through um, your website, um, and I I was seeing sort of a lot of the different things that you've done, and I was excited about obviously a lot of the projects that you've been on but i found it really interesting also that you've started a success coaching business which is mm -hmm. you know i didn't see that coming and then when i went to your website i was like oh i see yeah. so, so florence tell us a little bit about your coaching business yeah it's funny actually because um i'm really bad at being an entrepreneur when it comes to my acting business so when you go look <laughs> me up i'm like here's my coaching <laughs> um essentially that came about because there's kind of two parts to this story one was that first lockdown so when covid happened and theaters closed overnight i just kind of come out of a year off uh, having my second child and you know funds were running low as a self-employed actor and i was like right it's time to get to get back to work um i was three days into a new show uh, rehearsing for a new show and then they were like guys i'm really sorry you, you're not coming in tomorrow hopefully this thing will blow over in a couple of weeks haha -ha. um <laughs> and later. yeah a year later um and so overnight i kind of went from the main breadwinner to um you know working in the west end providing for my family to just everything gone. And I was already kind of like the cushion was low because I just come off maternity leave, right? So that was quite terrifying. And I kind of had to make a decision quite quickly and go to that answer of, you know, when people ask you, well, if you weren't a writer, what would you do? If you weren't an actor, what would you do? And my answer for quite a while was, I think I'd love to coach. And the reason for that, the seed for that really was planted probably about 10 or so years earlier where I really suffered a lot from stage fright. Um, I went through a phase of just absolutely crumbling. Like I'd have maybe a week of stage fright and then it would kind of disappear and I'd get over it, but it would be so bad. Like at its worst, I had a panic attack through a three minute solo on stage. It was horrific. And I remember thinking like, if this carries on, like I've, I don't know how to do this anymore. And so it was actually that kind of moment that, that, that catalyst, that that panic attack was a catalyst for, me going okay like how much do i want to do this and i've got to accept that something's going on in my head that i need to sort out and so i went and um did a lot of work on myself looked into mindset i trained actually with um, a performance psychologist someone who used to be an athlete and work with um she was an olympian athlete and she worked with athletes on their kind of sports psychology and then went into singing work with singers and actors and just learned how to deal with performing under pressure and it really, really turned my career around. Before that, I was in the ensemble of things. I was kind of the first cover for the female lead and, and I was grateful and I loved it. But I also was feeling like frustrated. I knew I could do more. And doing that work, I think it was about three or four months later, I got my first leading lady role. And I, and I really don't see it as a coincidence. Like it just helped me to, yeah, just take up that space. Um, and yeah so it was that really that when i then when everything happened in lockdown i kind of was looking around i was kind of geeky into the entrepreneurial world and kind of personal development and all of that and i could really see exploring that world how and, and thinking what could my business be what could i help people with how people were really struggling with showing up as the face of their brand um getting on camera getting on video maybe even getting on stage and talking about their business that visibility side and so that's what I've specialized in I was like I'm gonna bring what I learned and help people in the entrepreneurial space or in any kind of space where they want to have their version of success to show up uh without shame essentially mm -hmm. you know um oh that's fascinating huh? and so that's what started that and then it just kind of carried on and built up and I've actually loved having a second string to my bow it's kind of given me a bit of creative freedom of going of saying yes and no to different parts more and going i'm not financially dependent on being in a show i can it's felt quite empowering in that way as an actor because i think mm -hmm. acting is one of those um it's one of those arts where you can only do it if someone hires you which right. can be feel quite passive you know and, and tricky and so it's felt quite empowering for me to grow my own business alongside um, my creative career as well yeah 
And during all this, when COVID was going on, you had mentioned you were quarantined for two mm -hmm. weeks in Italy for the House of Gucci. How did that come about during COVID? Do you know what? I don't know. I was so surprised by it. So this was, I think this was in the, the second UK lockdown and I wasn't expecting anything. I mean, I, I everything was down. Um, and my agent, it happened very quickly. My agent called me and said, Hey, you've got a, a self tape for Ridley Scott. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, so that was, um, yeah, a real surprise. And all I did was I did, I did one self tape and then I got a call saying, Hey, Ridley Scott has emails saying he loved your tape. And it looks like, um, like, I don't want to get your hopes up, but he's got to check it with, I don't know, some producers or something. And like, it looks like you're going to have an offer on Monday. So then I had a weekend of going, can I get excited or can't I? Um, which is crazy. I was going to say, I'd be freaking out to receive I, an email knowing Ridley Scott loved yeah, your tape. Yeah, it, was, you it was insane. And then Monday I had it. And I think literally Ridley Scott works so fast. I think I had like a month or maybe two, one to two months before I was flying to Italy. Um, I didn't know what song I was also singing in the film. I didn't know what song I was going to sing until about a week before we filmed that. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God. Um, and yeah, it was insane. Like I said, I was six weeks away on my own, which was amazing and challenging all at the same time. Um, and the whole thing was just in incredibly surreal. I mean, just, I, I remember that first scene um, that we filmed and I was sitting there on this sofa and like to my right was Jared Leto and then to my left was Adam Driver and Lady Gaga and then in front of us was Al Pacino and I was like have I been put in the wrong room <laughs> like if they make a mistake what's going on this can't be you know so I had to really shush that part of my brain that kept going what um and uh yeah but it was it was amazing so I I'm sure that you have a with with all the crazy stuff that that you've been through I'm sure you have a terrific unfreaking believable story for us but florence how would you classify your unfreaking believable story because we have a lot of categories mm -hmm. that we do on the show whether it's a miracle supernatural dumb luck mm -hmm. or a moment of courage mm -hmm. or maybe none of the above oh man i mean so i think i was saying to you guys before i'm like i don't know i've got so many random unfreaking unfreaking believable stories that it's it's really hard to choose you know, I think I honestly think that what happened in House of Gucci and there's like a moment I'll I'll take you to that was especially pinch me was to me, it's one of those moments where, you know, it's unfreaking, unfreaking believable in the moment. Right. You know, so, so often you look back in hindsight and you're like, whoa, that was unbelievable. But it was one of those times where this is unbelievable and I don't know how to deal with how unbelievable it is. Um, so for sure, I mean, one of those I would say it was it was filming in Lake Como at this incredible like mansion and i would say there's there's probably a couple of parts to this story my first part was the first time i walked on set and just such a, an array of cast members there like just there were so many massive names in that and it was just that moment of i have hoped and dreamt that something like like i would be in this kind of environment with these kind of creatives that i respect so much for so long and it all happened so fast and here and it was just the expanse of the mountains of Lake Como, a mansion, saying hi to Lady Gaga, Ridley Scott introduced, like all in one, like I would say in about a 15 minute period, everything happened. Um, I even, you know, I remember that morning being um, in the trailer um, at Lake Como and being there at like 5 a.m. and it was all dark and there's people like getting their, you know, cappuccinos and espressos from the coffee cart. And even that, which sounds like, to me, I was, it felt like, Glastonbury mm -hmm. Festival like it felt like this amazing I, I just can't explain it so and and I think the a real pinnacle of that of that filming um was probably when we were filming the scene um with Jared Leto's character has his fashion show and uh that I was playing his wife Jenny Gucci who was a kind of amateur opera singer um and so I had to sing arguably like one of the, <laughs> the hardest arias there is to sing from the magic flute and um i really scott we'd had actually recorded it previously it was all recorded we had the audio and then he's like um 
I, I think we're going to do it live. Are you okay with that flow? <laughs> and, so, and so, and yeah, and just suddenly kind of threw me into the spotlight and, um, and added in like that we're going to do this, um, this shot as well as soon as you finish singing, where Jared Leto is going to do this. And then we're going to close up on your face. And, you know, if you can bring some tears out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, there's no moment for rehearsal. I was like, hadn't properly warmed up my voice because I thought it was going to be miming to my own recording. Um, and I think it's one of those moments where it's like kind of a bit of a do or die. It's like, okay, flow. Like, are you gonna, it, all that stuff I went through with the stage fright, it was really, it, it was funny. It kind of came to a point then of like, are you going to let yourself show off? Exactly. Essentially, that's how I, that's how I describe it. Because I think a big thing for me in the past was this tug of war internally between knowing what I was capable of, wanting it, wanting to step into it and own it, but also this other part of me going, yeah, but who are you to do that? And what if you fail? And what if you make yourself look like an idiot in front of everyone? And what if you're not even as good as you think you might be? And all of that. And so in a moment like that, it's like, are you going to jump off the cliff or not? Like, are you, because you can't, I've been in enough situations where you go for it but you like belly flop you kind of back out as well at the same time you like you try and play safe and so I remember saying to myself in that moment probably some sound guy could hear me um through this through my mic but I remember being like just show off like just show off just show off just show off because that's kind of what you got to do is let yourself go big and like maybe I'd fall on my face and so it was it was an unfreaking believable moment. And what was pretty awesome is that after I finished that take and they did that close up, um, the uh, one of the crew, um, because I was a lesser known actor, I was staying in a hotel with a crew people, not like in some la-di-da apartment. And so I got to know them all quite well. So one of the crew members who I knew quite well, he came up afterwards and he said, um, after they said cut on that scene, Ridley Scott just said, wow. <laughs> And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm happy now. If I never work again, I'm, I'm sorted. <laughs> so for me, that's probably an unfreaking believable story because it's, um, you know, I've still got my ambitions. There's still so much I want to do, but um, yeah, that felt creatively very, uh, I was proud of myself and it felt very surreal. And, and but awesome. it sounds like it was also in a way kind of like a testing ground for all of that interior work that you had done prior to that you know it's like yeah the, you know the universe gives you this opportunity to test have you learned what you were supposed to learn and it sounds like you were able to apply it at that moment yeah absolutely and you know what's so interesting is i feel like when you're on set and and someone shouts action and the camera's on you or when you're in the wings and you're about to step forwards and that fear is there like it's not like the fear ever goes i but it's it's so tangible because it's such a clear thing like every you can hear the voice in your head saying really trying to justify like just run away like leave <laughs> you just get out of this situation um but you have to step forwards anyway and so it's such a tangible thing um and and so there really are like those opportunities where you get to like you say yeah really test out the work you've been doing on yourself and make and make decisions you know like in those moments it's like an opportunity to decide what are you going to do how are you going to respond to it and just be have to be courageous so um yeah for me i'd say i'd say that's probably up there with those unbelievable stories for sure it really is you're sitting in a room with jared leto you know lady gaga ridley scott and all of a sudden it's like perform and you did i yeah. can't wait to watch the yeah, uh yeah. the scene again knowing your backstory to this yes you know yes go watch yes. yeah yeah it was it was it was crazy yeah what was really great as well is that you know you kind of it's interesting when i think and, and i guess you guys will relate to this in, in a different way but you know when you're a creative it's it's easy to put certain people on pedestals you know they've got these famous names they're well known maybe you've really loved their work and you kind of put them on this pedestal understandably and i had that but there was this moment where you know for, for various reasons we had to change where the scene was and therefore everyone had to break for half an hour while cameras moved around and um al pacino was like should we all line run and we all like went over to this corner and it was like me and al pacino and lady gaga and adam driver and all these amazing people and we were line running and i remember thinking 
I'm so glad this moment happened because I've just realized we're all like, I know this standing in a circle of actors, line running. I'm like, they are just mm. <laughs> normal people. Yeah. And um, I was, I was lucky in that Ridley Scott has had this thing and he had it for everyone, no matter what department they were in, in the film where, um, everyone was equally respected everyone was treated the same there was no room for like mm -hmm. egos or hierarchy right and on. again like I think that really brings out the best in people because it's we are all there because we're bringing what's needed to to the film and so um yeah that was that was great to kind of just realize that as well as it's, it's obvious you know but um just to be like yeah it's I belong here it's okay I'm allowed right yeah that's that's actually I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that because you always hear about in film the sets being these toxic environments for particularly the the people who aren't the primary leads mm. um and so it's it's wonderful to hear that um the director made it sort of almost like a personal mission to make sure that that was not the case and that um yeah. it was a welcoming environment for everyone Oh, um, so that's, that's absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And I can see how that could be the case. And I've been in that situation, you know, in, in shows like in, in London, if they bring a big celebrity name in to put bums on seats and, you know, I've seen that happen and it only um, brings down the performance of everyone, you know, it brings in a kind of toxicity mm -hmm. or a jadedness yeah. or a resentment and, and kind of it, it, it separates people. And the more you can build a team um, that are all mm -hmm. together and working together, the better. And, um, I, I've got to say, like Ridley Scott was uh, was very, very cool. I hear he used to like, you know, have quite the fire in him, him, you know, like and and kind of he wouldn't want to get on the wrong side. But I, I never, I never saw that. I saw someone who was like, you know, um, I think he's a Geordie, you know, he's like a northerner and he's like super down to earth, super salt of the earth, and clearly just had no time for any of that. And had, you know, a lot of the people in say the wardrobe department, um, in, uh, you know, the cameramen, like cinematography, like the, the sound, they worked on a lot of his films. So clearly he found the people that he really respected and trusted mm -hmm. and who were in their zone of genius. And then he just puts everyone together and does a couple of takes and then we move on. It's like, he just trusts that if he brings the right people together, um, then it's gonna happen. And um, so it felt, yeah, that it didn't feel very Hollywood. I, I remember, I mean, it did at times. I remember. Except thinking, for Lake Como. Yeah, except for Lake Como. I was going to say, I, then I was like, okay, I'm in Hollywood. Um, I remember though on that sofa, it was so funny because I was so in like acting mode. I was so in like being my character and kind of do the things I needed to do to kind of perform and, and be in the right state of mind. Um, and it's almost like 3% of my brain every now and then couldn't help but like come out being like, oh my God, Flo, like, <laughs> where are you What's going on so it was it was an interesting experience of uh yeah my brain hopping all over the place that's i mean that's that's amazing and it just i don't know i it, i have often have had the conversation with betsy and jenny about how the more i get into the author community it sounds like the the acting community is very much the same a lot of us are just working writers like you guys are working actors it's mm -hmm. not like you know we don't have our you know, $5 million mansions mm -hmm. that we drive up in our Lamborghinis and all that kind of stuff. So the idea that these people who are household names, you know, that anyone would know, when you actually talk to them, and you're in sort of a, an organic setting, I'm not talking about sort of in a, a meet and greet fan setting, but mm -hmm. just in an organic setting, they're just absolutely normal people. Uh, and in fact, that a lot of people who you would think of that you think might be that $5 million house Lamborghini people are actually just probably just ordinary Joes and Janes going to work every day. And this is, it just so happens they have a really visible job. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd almost say like in my experience that it's sometimes it's that the people who are super uber, uber, uber successful are the most kind of introverted and just want to lead a quiet life and kind of aren't like splashy with it all not that there's anything wrong like of course if you've got the money spend it on what you want to spend it on like live where right, you want to live right? right but um but that that seems to have been my experience i've kind of there's been so many big names kind of even just like in in theater kind of that have come in that i knew before you know that i knew of and that i had a bit of like i might have been a bit starstruck when i met them um and 
yeah and sometimes it's the people who maybe aren't quite doing as well as you think they might be that almost feel the need to kind of show how well they're doing so it's it's interesting it's a bit smoke and mirrors i think you know you never yeah. quite know um but i do what's interesting is i do find that a lot of those really really um kind of famous people just want want a lot of privacy are quite quiet quite unassuming um and adam mm -hmm. driver was very very sweet and quiet and unassuming just kind of went back to his trailer you know and um yeah we forget that don't we because we see the stories from the press and we kind of yeah. think that's the person and it's just a story that sells really it's not yeah. it's not real yeah yeah so i have to ask and who knows maybe i'll even have to cut this later <laughs> but um i i just it just occurred to me i hear all kinds of stories about jared leto on set oh and yeah that, i mean i've i've but I don't know if that's because he's a character actor and he yeah. gets into his character and yeah. then becomes that person and then everybody else is like, what? Yeah. So did you see any of that kind of stuff? And this is not really me geeking out over Jared Leto. It's just <laughs> that I've heard this in his reputation. I'm I have curious too. from someone who was working with him if mm. if that's is that a real thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. No, I'm <laughs> no, I mean, I never, I never met the real Jared Leto. I only met Paolo Gucci, who he played. Right, and right. So that was quite, um, <laughs> that had the well, I've heard he is a character actor. Like he yeah. literally just becomes that person for the duration of the film. Yep. He's definitely method, all in method. And so when I was introduced to him, I was introduced to him as his wife and I met my husband and he was like this you know he was wearing this fat suit and like had his prosthetics on so he was like this big italian and i was like holy <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> I... <laughs> and i got like a big bunch of flowers and i got a love letter in italian from him near the end and but he oh, was wow. but he was also lovely like i personally i, re I really felt like he you know safe and he was lovely and he was very much like, and you know what? It's funny because um, it, it's it's unfortunately this was cut out of the the scene where we're where we're all inside on the sofa. But um, uh, that scene when we were filming it, um, Jared Leto was like improvising all over the place, and it ended it 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 kind of pushed me out of this is how I've decided I'm going to do it which I know was a good thing because really it's like you need to prep and then kind of throw it away when you when the cameras are on and just like be open um mm -hmm. and so he was so out there like his character was so out there that it made my character go more out there it's like there's some crazy stuff we filmed that I'm such a shame was not in um but it that kind of loosened me up a bit actually so it was I don't know other That's people cool. might have like not liked that so much but he was um yeah he was absolutely did you get in. to kiss him I didn't okay. kiss him. And you know what? I'm kind of like as much as, you know, my, you know, the, my so-called life years self would have loved that um, as Paolo yeah. Gucci. I don't know. Like, I feel it might have been a bit. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the picture. Yeah. 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 It's not no. the Jared Leto that we, we remember. Not at yeah. all. Yeah. You know. But it's still Jared Leto. 30 seconds tomorrow. So. It's still Jared yeah. Leto. But you know that if he was going to kiss you as Paolo Gucci, he'd really go for it. So I, I don't know. I might. <laughs> <laughs> it would have made another unforgivable yeah. story yeah, though, I'll tell you. Have, yeah. <laughs> I live to tell the tale. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um all of these experiences that you've you've had and it's led up to you doing the life coaching, the the success coaching, and then obviously it's it's just been a roller coaster of a ride for you um what what kind of projects are you working on now what's what's on deck for florence andrews right now yeah well i mean i'm just starting to get back to taping self-taping and auditioning again um i obviously like the writer's strike and everything going on and everything's been pretty quiet in terms of script mm -hmm. work um so it's exciting i can see that things are starting to open back up again so i am just auditioning at the moment and in fact i've started auditioning again for the first time in years for west end stuff because for a long time i was i didn't want to because even though i so missed it um because i wanted to see my kids and it is a very mm -hmm. family friendly 
job, right? It's eight shows a week, six days a week. Um, but you know, me and my partner talked about it recently and I was like, I really miss it and we'll make it work. And we kind of, so it's all really for me starting to ramp up again and, um, and also wanting to, to be writing my own stuff. So actually I'm stepping into my childhood dream a little bit and trying to be, I was never quite brave enough to really put my own stuff out there. Um, Mm. and I think, um, yeah, you know, I love comedy. I love, um, silliness and stupidness and making fun of the world we live in and um so that i'm also starting to work on some of my own projects as well so yeah just watch this space i don't know which way it will go um but um i'm open to it all so we shall see well and i i i hope that the 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 flood of of exciting opportunities just crashes right over you and you're able to to ride it wherever you would like to go and i cannot thank you enough for being with us today um we have just I've, this has just been a lovely conversation i have a feeling that i could just talk to you for yeah. hours but again thank you so much um is there is there anything that you would like to have our listeners you know think about or mm-hmm. is there would you like to direct them to your website do a little pitch for yeah, your business sure. yeah so i mean I, I mean in terms of a message the the first thing that comes up to me to say and leave people with is you know in, in terms of my story like lean into fear not away from it like stop waiting to feel like you're ready to do the thing you want to do stop waiting until you feel calm and chill about it because i still get terrified before i do anything like everything and if you wait until you're calm it's not going to happen so that all is super cliche the whole feel the fear and do it anyway i feel like that's kind of the motto of my life so far so if i could pass on one thing it would be that in terms of um yeah like following me online i've got to say like i said i am so bad at being an entrepreneur for my acting business um having said that i used to have an acting instagram it got hacked it's gone i'm gonna start one again so the best place to find me is where my coaching business is and once i start rocking up as an actor online again I'll put it on there so you'll find me. And that is Florence underscore Andrews underscore coaching on Instagram. And um, yeah, like I said, um, as soon as uh, I've got my acting Instagram back up and running, I'll put it on there and you'll you'll see. Awesome. And we will share that out on our uh, Facebook group and our Instagram as well. Um, again, thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on whatever platform you listen on and join our unfrickin' believable Facebook group and follow us on TikTok and Instagram. Visit our website at www.ufbpodcast.com. And if you have an unfreaking believable story, reach out to us at ufbpodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to hear your story too. In fact, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss a single unfrickin' believable episode. All right, Betsy, how about you take us out with a quote of the day? All right, my quote of the day comes from Terrence Mann. Movies will make you famous, television will make you rich, but theater will make you good. Love it. Absolutely. Be sure to join us next time for yet another unfrickin' believable guest with an unfrickin' believable story. And as always, thank you for listening. And as you go out into the world this week, don't just be amazing. Be unfrickin' believable. See you all next time.